Welcome to Smart Humans with Slava Rubin, presented by Vincent. In this alt-investing podcast, Slava talks to amazing minds about their investment journey and finds out what it takes to make it in the markets. And now, here's your host and smart human, Slava Rubin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Smart Humans. I am super excited about today's guest. We have the CEO and founder of one of the largest alternative investment platforms on the internet, Malin Meheri. Welcome to Smart Humans. Thank you for having me. You know, we always like to start with the same question with everybody, and your you know, origin story is really interesting. How did you even get into alternative investments? So I think for me, the journey was very organic similar to a Travis Kalanick or Brian Chesky, that they were trying to solve their own problems and they started Uber and Airbnb. So for me, Slava, I came to this country as an immigrant student, joined the professional workforce, was kind of, you know, climbing the corporate ladder. Um, what was told to me was 60, 40 is the way to go as far as investments were concerned. So, you know, 401k, 529, all that. Uh, co-founded a company before Yield Street. Company was doing extremely well. Then global financial crisis hit 2009, portfolio down 50%, go to my financial advisor. I said, hey, what's happening here? He said, what can I do? The whole world is collapsing. And so I asked him, can I invest away from the stock market in assets that are non-correlated and can generate some passive income for me, like Apollo and uh, Blackstone and some of these real estate funds and all that. Uh, he starts laughing. He says, hey, I know I'm your wealth manager but you don't really have wealth and to invest in those type of uh, private equity firms. And I'm like saying to myself, here is my company. It's about four, 500 people. I think I'm doing pretty well. How can I not invest in these type of investments? And that was really when the light bulb went off, which is how is it that uh, we don't have access to good investments away from the stock market. And by the way, I didn't know the words non-correlated meant and all I'm a tech entrepreneur. And uh, so over the next few years, Lava, I was, uh, you know, I was uh, uh, investing through my PA, trying to do real estate deals, hustle in New York, along with, you know, growing my company. And uh, finally, as uh, my previous company got acquired and I was looking to do my next thing, these things kept coming back to me, which is like, how do you solve this income and opportunity gap? How do you like really create alpha in your portfolio, real returns in your portfolio away from the stock market, like the top 1%, like the institutions. And that's when I partnered with my co-founder, Michael Weiss. He comes from that investment world and we had complementary skill sets where I knew how to build a brand, technology operations. He knew investment management, risk management and compliance, which is very important in our in our space. And that's how, you know, Yield Street actually was started. And, and Slava, you know, you kind of went through the whole regulatory changes and you had a very, very successful uh, crowdfunding uh, startup. Uh, you were one of the early OGs of that. And so, uh, so you know, a uh, lot of regulation change, change betterment uh, on the robo side, lending club on the lending side. And there was this big void on the wealth tech side, which is where Yield Street tried to fill it, where we were going to create this option for your portfolio and modernize your portfolio. That's an amazing story. I love the immigrant background. So when you mentioned your PA, your personal account, um, what were some of those investments that you were starting to do early out of your personal account? So uh, mostly tied to real estate and some small business loans uh, outside of the stock market. And so I still remember, Slava, uh, I would drag my wife on a weekend, go to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, look at a day's in or a holiday in, right? Like, 
Indians and motels sounds cliche, but you know that's where the great cash on cash returns were. I used to look at QSR, you know, restaurants and subway chains and things like that. I was actually um, one of the founding members of uh, Coldwell Banker India. We actually took Coldwell Banker, uh, took the master franchise and took it to India to expand in India, and it's still operational over there. So I was, you know, like mostly, uh, you know, like you know many people, real estate is such a big asset class. So you get a lot of exposure to that. So. Uh, mostly in and around real estate uh, was was some of the focus at that time. So this is like 2009, 2010, 2011, things like that? Yeah, it was probably between 2010 and 2014, 15. Great. And so how about the other asset classes? Let's say like art or crypto, I imagine it's very early for that, or collectibles or, I mean, debt. It sounds like real estate you really had dialed. Yeah, so uh, listen, I did some debt, uh, mostly loans around for small businesses and things like that. Uh, art, I was dabbling, but nothing substantial. Uh, believed in that as an asset class, but much more uh, from from an interest perspective because it's such a wide asset class. Um, I didn't do crypto at the time at all. Um, and uh, outside of that, angel investing for sure. And so did a few of those. Uh, mostly in female founders, uh, mostly piggybacked on my wife. So my wife used to be a venture capitalist at the time, and she was big supporters of uh, female founders. And so uh, we did uh, we did a bunch of those uh, those investments uh, um, jointly at that time. Amazing! Sounds like a a power couple to say the least. And then as you've uh, obviously built out Yield Street and so many different asset classes, has your personal investing evolved? Have you? moved into collectibles have you moved into art have you moved into crypto or how has your own personal investing involved yeah so great question i think uh, the beauty of yield street has been that uh, you know we obviously invest on the platform and uh, for us the thesis really was very at the very beginning we didn't want to build a monoline uh, asset class business so when we started yield street we were the early uh, you know, if you look at crossing the chasm, right? Like we were the early pioneers, like trailblazing the path. A lot of the VCs during our seed round told us, guys, focus on one or two asset classes. And at that time, mostly everything was happening in real estate. Naturally, right? It's one of the biggest asset class. And we said that, listen, over time, this game is not going to be when investors are going to go to 15 platforms. They want, you know, one place to come and get access to everything, which is, by the way, what you're trying to solve as well, right? In In many ways to say, hey, I'm going to kind of uh, aggregate variety of different asset class platforms out there so that people can come and like choose what they want and you know diversify their portfolio. So for me, it has evolved as Yield Street has evolved. So my portfolio outside of the stock market uh, very much is uh, around the, the different asset classes available on Yield Street. So private equity, credit, um, lots of real assets that includes real estate, transportation, art, things like that. And then uh, continued to do some private investments, uh, but primarily has been those. Those has been the big, big sector. Crypto is a big world. Uh, I have mostly dabbled trivially in crypto. Uh, I'm a big believer in blockchain, and uh, crypto was, uh, you know, for Yield Street. Traditionally, we are very kind of conservative as a platform. So until like few months ago, we had not really offered uh, uh, offered crypto on our on our platform. Our platform is meant for investors, not traders. So, uh, so you know, we kind of try to try to use that conservative lens, and so that's kind of how my personal uh, 
investing preferences have uh, evolved in the last, I would say, five, six years. Great. And then what do you think about the uh, shift more recently of people wanting to get more into collectibles like uh, Michael Jordan rookie card or things like that? Yes. So uh, listen, I think uh, there's two ways, Slava, for us to think about those type of things. So are you, again, like when I make a distinction between investor and trader, the same distinction happens in collectibles also. Are you an investor or a trader? If you're a trader, you're dabbling 20, 30, 50, 500 dollars. I think it's fine. You can enjoy because you feel the sense of uh, ownership, pride, like, hey, I want to have uh, a piece of the Horace Wagner card, like, you know, whatever, 10 shares of the Horace Wagner card and all. Is that an investment strategy? I'm not really sure in terms of how much it's going to go up because you're even $50 becomes $75. It's not really meaningful to, to kind of how you should think about your investment. Now, if you wear your investor lens, then you have to be really careful and do the same amount of diligence that you would do when you're investing in real estate. And so for me, that at that point in time, it's not so much about gamification that, hey, it's like really cool graphics and, you know, you see your stock price move up and all that, which is going to happen when there is easy money, which is what has happened in the last two or three years, right? But then will this thesis hold up over the next three, five, seven year cycle? That's what you have to be really be careful about. So my general view is that, yes, I think art and collectibles are an asset class. Uh, and as the world becomes more democratized and there is more access, of course, these things are going to be very, very good. The question really is that are you wearing your trader hat and like kind of fun hat versus a long-term investor hat? And, you know, depending upon which hat you're wearing, you have to be careful on how you're evaluating it. So for me, it would be fun to go, you know, big New England sports fan. So go fun to, you know, invest in uh, Tom Brady or Celtics or Larry Bird and all of those things uh, for fun. But if I'm really thinking about collectibles, then I'm like really thinking through how do I, you know, really value that asset class? How much money should I put in? What's really, you know, where in time we are, uh, you know, with regards to the market and how much speculation there is and not there is, uh, you know, currently and invest according to that. So, uh, so are you a big Celtics fan? Yeah, I'm generally a big Boston sports fan. Nice, nice. So you're having a so moment. So I spend a lot of time in I, I spend a lot of time in Boston before moving to this great city of New York. Uh, so, but I still kind of carry my 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 Boston roots. Uh, I was going to say you definitely had your run with the Patriots, and now you have your Celtics uh, performing quite well. Correct. Yeah. Today it's going to be it. You know, on to the finals. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You mentioned easy money over the last few years, which really leads me to the next question is about the market. You know, the easy money seems like it's uh, coming to an abrupt end, maybe not abrupt, but it's definitely slowing down. And the market has definitely been shifting for many different reasons. What's Malin, you know, your point of view on what's happening in the market, whether it's the private markets, alternative markets, the macro markets, the public markets. I love, you know, you're you're one of the people that is so connected across all these different things. Our listeners love to hear from people like you. So what's your point of view on the market? Yeah, listen, I am no, uh, no economist, but I, I'll make a couple of, uh, couple of points here. So, you know, broadly speaking, I think uh, uh, the markets uh, really have, have overreacted, right, uh, in, in some ways. But uh, what has happened is that in the last two or three years, we knew that this story was going to end not so well, right, because... Governments around the world, Slava, printed $20, 25000000000000 trillion. So it was easy money that propped up the asset values. 
and that also drew up inflation. So we knew this was going to happen, but the government had to do that because of, you know, obviously extremely unforeseen circumstances because of the pandemic. And so obviously that raised, uh, you know, raised, in, uh, you know, uh, inflation very high. Uh, pandemic created supply chain problems and then housing went through the roof over the last couple of years and now that you know that money is no longer available and quantitative easing has uh, cooled off you're seeing some cracks in the ecosystem but i personally feel that i think uh, nasdaq has been you know oversold when you know facebook is uh, trading at uh, 10 pe google is trading at 20 pe when png is trading at 25 and coke is tra- tra- trading at 27 like, you know, there is, there is I think, uh, a little bit more of that sentiment that has crept in. But I think the main thing to take from the public markets is the fact that investor sentiment is very, very powerful. Uh, the other really aspects is that this is where, you know, lots of different factors contribute to the psyche. What happened in the crypto world, crazy things were happening, again, because of easy money. And, uh, you know, technologies can go sometimes very ambitious, right? And so if you have algorithmic stable coin pegging and, uh, you know, uh, people are getting 10, 15, 20% yield on stable coins, you have to ask yourself as an investor, how is that possible? Because somebody has to pay that money, right? And so for you to do recursive lending on, on, on the blockchain and on, uh, you know, and on using all these DeFi protocols, you have to be really careful. So there are all these things that are kind of confluence of events that's happening. Now, if you think about, conversely, if you think about our world of private markets, that is in some sense a big uh, reprieve, right? And uh, so what, what, you know, what I am seeing in my own personal portfolio is my public portfolio obviously is dramatically down, similar to all of us. But my yield street type portfolio is, is, extremely, uh, uh, is extremely stable uh, still. And, uh, and I think uh, generally when you think about uh, uh, overall holistic portfolio, this is where we feel that private markets has a critical role to play in, uh, in your portfolio because that's how institutional investors, high net worth and family offices invest uh, to, to really kind of create this uh, complementary hedge against public uh, equities and volatility in the public markets. And so uh, I think... Um, that's really where investors should think about what is the role that private markets and non-public market investments play in our portfolio when these type of uh, circumstances present themselves. And this is not new, right? For 100 years, we know these cycles. It happens. But human memory is very, very short. When the going is good, you know, people want to go enjoy like, you know, and think that this party is never going to end. But then there is always a curfew and party does come to an end. And so it really depends on like how well prepared are you in that type of a situation. Yeah, your point about the party ending. So it seems like the party has come to an end. The question is, how long um, is the party going to be delayed for or stopped? Uh, Do you have any sense? I know you said you're not an economist, uh, but from your point of view, is this the sort of thing that, you know, we're already at the bottom or this is going to take another year before we see bottom or you know, how long is, let's call it bear market, this recession, this whatever we want to call it, um, you know, the down part of our cycle? What do you think? Yeah, so I think uh, I don't know whether we are bottomed out or no. I think for me, the main indicators really are we have to wait for at least one or two more quarters. So probably into the fall to see what is the impact of interest rate hikes and is inflation cooling? Like just yesterday, we got... uh, uh, numbers that consumer spending is still very very strong, and so the question really is: um, 
as quantitative easing stops and interest rate hike kind of takes into impact, uh, you saw some numbers on mortgages slowing down dramatically from you know quarter over quarter. So I think um, realistically, personally, I don't think that uh, you know I can kind of predict what will happen until at least the fall to see how long or how sustained this uh, this turn is going to be. Because companies are, at the end of the day are still posting uh, you know reasonably good numbers. And uh, I think the question, uh, Slava, is going to be that people overhired in certain circumstances, people became more ambitious in certain circumstances. So uh, there is a general, uh, you know, there is a general concern among venture and growth equity communities, which always happens when such type of events take place. And so, uh, you know, so I think there's going to be a natural tightening of uh, uh, the purse, uh, and and so that can you know obviously be a you know kind of a self fulfilling prophecy and can create a lot of uh, uh, lot of effects if people started to suddenly say hey hiring freeze no more expansion no more investment because people just don't know so I think that could add a lot more pain versus actually the fundamentals of each of the businesses. Yeah, and then even this morning there was a new inflation number that came out which was actually a little bit slowed down. So I think that's why we're seeing the green today. So. You know, there, I think there's going to be this push and pull, like you said, that I think we're going to be seeing some chop in terms of those that predict, you know, we've seen the bottom versus those that say we're going to keep going down. So the next few months or quarter or two is going to be very interesting for everybody. So that transitions us really to, you know, your platform, Mule Street. How should investors be using your platform to navigate this market? So, listen, before we get into Yield Street, the other big point that uh, everybody should understand is that. In periods like this, when inflation is very high, people should really consider how much cash they are sitting on because you're losing 7-8% a year to inflation, right? So doing nothing is actually not so good for you. So the question really, and listen, for every individual, every family, it's a different equation. But you have to understand how much liquidity do you truly want and how much cash do you want to truly sit on? Because these are the type of uh, dips, so-called dips, that you know great investors like Warren Buffett jump on and like take advantage of and professional investors take advantage of. So my first uh, view really would be for uh, for the listeners of this podcast is to you know evaluate that because many many times we are too conservative sitting on too much cash, right? That's why there is 6 trillion dollars of cash sitting in you know the top 5 or 6 banks. Now coming to yield street, we have always believed that 60/40 is dead and you need access to private markets uh, in your portfolio. And times like this, as I said earlier, proves itself. And so we think that uh, private markets provides that fixed income alternative, that growth uh, growth mindset that you need to have. And uh, so we obviously encourage consumers to always look at uh, alternatives and add that to uh, add them to their portfolio. And who's the uh, like the typical user? At, at Yield Street. So if my, the listeners are here, is it them? You know, who, who who should be considering using it? Yeah, listen, so Yield Street is open for everybody. There are some products that irrespective of your accreditation status that are available to Yield Street to, uh, for, you know, for users to use. And then there are certain products that are available to accredited investors. So this is anybody who's a SoFi or a Betterment customer, a millennial that is, you know, a, a mass affluent, uh, you know, consumer can use Yield Street. And by the way, primarily all of these restrictions are not by Yield Street, right? These are regulatory restrictions that we all have to navigate. So, so you know, so these are the typical consumers that, uh, you know, if you have six-figure investable assets, you know, you should consider investing in, in alternatives. Now, Slava, can I say or make a case for 
why even outside of Wheel Street, right? Like why alternatives are so important, which is what the problem that you have obviously recognized and, and said that, hey, you also want to contribute to kind of taking alternatives mainstream. So, yeah, so, so, so for me, number one at the top of the house, right? Fintech is, I think Fintech is entering the golden age. This decade is going to be the golden age of Fintech. And I've spoken about this in the past. And if you think about private markets, in the last 20 years, the alpha has come from private markets. Why am I saying that? Think about the private equity firms like Apollo, Blackstone, Carlyle, KKR, the top five firms. They took first 30 years to go from zero to $40 billion of AUM. Okay. Since the global financial crisis, Lava, they have gone from 40 to 400, 500, 700 billion dollars. So they have tremendously grown. Who are the investors in them? Big pension funds, endowments, massive institutional investors. Why are they investing in them? They have institutional investors have between 50 and 60 percent allocation to alls. Why are they investing in them? Because Blackstone, Apollo, KKR is delivering the alpha in their portfolio. Conversely, the public markets have become more and more passive to ETFs, index funds, mutual funds. And that's what we are all, 99% of us are consuming. So we have been left out of this whole alpha generation and institutionals have really taken advantage of it. Now, if you look at the last two or three years or the last five years, consumer behavior has completely changed. They want to get educated. They want a seat at the table. And multiple times they have demonstrated that. Right. If you think about what happened with Melvin Capital and the short squeeze and, you know, consumers really wanting that seat at the table with meme stocks and cryptocurrency and trading and all that. Listen, because they want that seat at the table, just like the institutions. And so for for us, when you think about private markets, I feel that this coming decade, alpha in your portfolio, the returns in your portfolio, alpha meaning real uh, you know, high returns for, for non-technical listeners, is going to come from private markets and uh, data and technology and changes to regulation can deliver that to you. So now the question really becomes is that is the consumer interested, wanting to learn and uh, and truly add that um, alls component to their portfolio? Our thesis or our understanding is that, you know, by 2025, you know, uh, users should have at least 20 to 25 percent allocation to alls. And, uh, and by the way, you're seeing that because a lot of these big PE funds that I, or, or firms that I mentioned, they're all going after retail. And they're all making public statements that we want to go after retail. And the reason, by the way, is that all the institutions are now tapped out, right? They're never going to go beyond 50, 60% because they obviously need liquidity. They need public market exposure, exposure to big, stable companies, you know, obviously in their portfolios. And so I think that dynamic is going to be very favorable to platforms like us that are trying to really democratize access, think about the little guy, make it easier for them. Uh, and then obviously, I think regulators are, are beginning to take notice. And we all collectively as an industry need to really educate the, the regulators to uh, understand like why these things are important components of the portfolio and how to protect investors, but at the same time, use technology, data, access uh, to truly provide that uh, differentiation in the portfolio. Yeah, we we at Vincent completely agree. Um, it'll be incredible when everybody has access to alternatives and they have five percent in their portfolios. And you say twenty to twenty five percent. That would be incredible. Uh, I know that we have a long way to go before the market is there. And you know, it's great work by your team and you know many other great companies in the industry pushing it forward. You mentioned um, 
the shift of the investor. Can you give us some perspective from you know your own data or your own knowledge on Yield Street? How has the diversification or how has the investing changed in the last year? You know, when they were still drinking from the punch bowl, having the party a year ago versus last week or last month or now, um, where it seems like the tides are shifting. Obviously, there's still good investments in alts, but how has the investing changed in terms of the types of assets, the types of diversifications, the average investment, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, great question. So listen, 2021 was uh, one of the best years for, for Yield Street. We grew almost uh, between 200 and 300% on every metric. And there was a lot of strong demand. You know, historically, our platform has had a lot of strong demand. One reason is because we always have this diversity of product on Yield Street, right? So if you think about Yield Street, there are really two strategies, income and equity growth. Like those are the you know top level buckets. And within that, there are four or five food groups. So private equity, private credit, real assets, including real estate, art, transportation, uh, venture capital, and then crypto. And then within those, five food groups, there are maybe 20, 25 strategies. So in real estate, we do everything from equity to a mess to senior secured debt. And uh, and within real estate, we do single family rentals, multifamily distribution center, warehouses. So there are multiple different strategies that, that people can get access to. So our consumer likes to diversify. On an average, they make five investments, six-figure portfolio. And uh, once they make the first investment, we can see a path for them to kind of continue to expand. The beauty of the platform is that you get monthly or quarterly coupons that reinforces the value that uh, that we are trying to create, the moments of joy that we are trying to build, and so that is you know something that is very important for for our users, and then you know that that's really where they come back and engage with the with the platform. Now, historically, as I said, like we don't really try to put every shiny object out there, right? So we only put about ten percent of the investments that we see around the thesis that I just mentioned. And uh, so, you know, our, our consumers are adopting that. Some people have more affinity towards real estate versus some might have affinity towards private equity. The other big thing is that on Yield Street over the last two years, we have expanded by not only offering direct investments where you could invest in a 300 unit multifamily Nashville apartment complex to some of the leading funds in private equity and private credit. And so, you know, you will have funds like KKR and Onyx and Bonacode and, uh, you know, leading, uh, you know, private equity firms and private credit funds that will meet your uh, kind of meet your diversification criteria. Now, coming to Q1 was strong for us. Coming to last four weeks or six weeks, very, very interesting data. We are definitely seeing some slowdown in our investor base. People are gravitating towards more income. People are gravitating towards more, you know, short duration uh, uh, investments. So, uh, so that's uh, that's definitely what we are seeing on our platform. What I will end by in this kind of segment is by saying, uh, when these type of opportunities exist, Yield Street is not a platform for you to make money in the next one month, right? We are not a trading platform like a Robinhood or a Coinbase or something like that. You should think of Yield Street and alternatives as a complementary aspect to your portfolio for the long run. So cycles come and go. But now is the time to get access to good you know, investments. And I think that's really what we are excited about. So, for example, real estate debt market last year, Slava, was really, really trading tightly. You know, people could take out real estate debt at 6, 7, 8%. That's not what our investor wanted. Uh, but now that has flipped to you know, low double digits and can go into teens. Okay, 
So that's something that our investors would like. And so for us as a platform, we can dial up, dial down based on what our you know consumer wants. And that is the advantage of being a multi-strat, multi-asset platform. And uh, so I think, uh, you know, just like what you should think about for your public portfolio is buying the dips and not be fearful, really understanding your liquidity needs as a family. Uh, you should also think about, you know, obviously adding alls to it, not with the next six month view in mind, but the next three to five year view in mind. Yeah, I love the long term thinking. So you mentioned you've been growing real fast. Yield Street's been around for several years. You're really becoming a known institution. What's your thoughts and timing on IPO? Listen, right now we are very excited to just build the company. We, uh, as you know, we raised a big round last year. We have a you know big, big uh, runway for, ahead of us for us to really pursue innovation. We have some couple of very interesting products coming out uh, in the summer, and that's our focus. We are, uh, you know, this uh, market is going to present a tremendous M and A opportunities. So we are excited about that. So if you know of uh, any companies that may need some help, uh, please. Please DM me. And uh, that is really our focus for the next 12, uh, 12 to 18 months, not really thinking through uh, IPO. Uh, for me as an entrepreneur, founder, CEO, IPO is just one milestone along the journey. And uh, for great companies, that naturally happens. You know, you teased us. What's coming this summer? <laughs> uh, what's coming this summer is uh, for a consumer to really uh, engage with the platform in an automated way where you don't have to pick one investment at a time. And based on your preferences, your time horizon, your yield requirements, your risk profile, you know, the platform will suggest um, a collective portfolio uh, for you. Awesome. Awesome. So a lot of people want to have as much knowledge as you. So what is it that you're reading? What is it that you're listening to? What is it that you're watching? Do you have any, uh, what is it that Melinda does that you can share? Yeah. So listen, I'll start with watching. Uh, I have been, uh, this very recent past. So loved the uh, loved watching We um, Crashed and and currently watching uh, Super Pumped. Uh, it's always you know interesting to see the founder's perspective. Obviously, it's uh, you know over dramatized and stuff like that. But for light watching, uh, I think I think that uh, that has been very interesting. Um, uh, with regards to listening, I listen to uh, Hidden Brain a lot, uh, a podcast. Um, I listen to. Uh, uh, all in with Chamath and David Sachs, a uh, bunch of those guys. Uh, so it's a combination of a bunch of business podcasts as well as kind of the human behavior type of podcast that is always interesting to uh, interesting to me. Um, and uh, reading list recently has been around team and culture. Um, so reading a book from McKinsey around effective CEO uh, leadership currently. Um, and uh, and has been uh, I've been reading Shackleton, uh, the book, uh, which has some very interesting leadership lessons, and it's kind of interesting time now as we are, you know, uh, really looking forward to the coming year. So that's what I'm doing. Amazing! Thank you for sharing that. And with our last question, we always like to put our uh, guests on the spot, which is what is one asset or one investment that you would recommend now in the alt space. Um, that three years from now, we could have you back on and we could talk about how it did. So it can't be an abstraction and it can't be a market or a general thing. What would be one thing you would recommend to put money into? And we all know that, you know, it's not investment advice, but our listeners like to hear what people have to say. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, I'm glad you said that this is not an investment, uh, ad, advice, uh, um, advice at all, um, Listen, I think for me, uh, one specific investment uh, that I really liked was uh, Bonacord, 
which is a GP stakes business. So this uh, investment firm offers, uh, actually makes investments in other uh, private equity firms, right? And take stakes. Um, and I feel where the market has been over the last uh, few years, I think that is one investment that uh, uh, personally I am I am excited about. I tried to pick an investment that was slightly differentiated versus give a generic answer on either real estate or crypto or something like that. So I thought that I would pick a very specific investment, which I think- I love that. It's Bonacord, is that what it's called? It's called Bonacord. I think uh, we may have some open on the platform, but I'm not sure whether it's fully subscribed. But the Bonacord is name of the fund. It's owned by P10, which is a publicly traded uh, company. And uh, again, it's uh, GP stakes. What it means that they will take stakes in uh, other private equity firms or hedge funds or asset managers. And um, and over time, we expect that to be a, a sound uh, sound kind of investment. Well, thank you very much for your time here. It's been an incredible journey. We covered so many different topics. You mentioned to us that cash on cash returns. You were doing that even from the beginning. You told us not to sit on too much cash because obviously it's not working for us in this inflationary environment. You really told us an amazing stat, which is much of the alpha from the markets has really come in the private markets, right? In the last twenty years. And I love this quote, which is cycles come and go, but now is the time to get in. So thank you so much, Malin, for joining. We look forward to having you back. Thank you so much for having me. Smart Humans with Slava Rubin is a podcast brought to you by the team at Vincent. Any data, text, or other content in this podcast is provided as general market information and not as investment advice. Past performance is not necessarily an indicator of future results. For more information on alternative investing, check out Vincent at www.withvincent.com.